Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Philadelphia comedian Betty Smithsonian. Holy shit, she is a lot of fun. She started doing improv, and then about four years ago, she began doing stand-up. She's also a bully. Big time bully. We met like 10 minutes before recording, and she started taking swings immediately. Kind of rude, but a whole lot of fun. She had to leave early, so I didn't ask her about her worst show. So uh, let's just assume she's never had a bad one. Betty Smithsonian is a perfect comedian. You heard it here. You guys are going to fall in love with her. Uh -huh. As soon as I finish the interview, I texted my friend Danielle, a lesbian just made fun of me for 80 minutes. She said, on the podcast, that's going to be my favorite episode. So uh, choose your friends carefully, folks. Bunch of jerks out there. Betty's closing the On The Zoom comedy show at 8 p.m. on Saturday, March 13th. She'll be with Philadelphia's David Feinberg and E.J. Masacampo from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. You can get your tickets for 5 bucks through Facebook and Eventbrite, or you can sign up for the Patreon and get access to every show we've done and will do for just 5 bucks a month. Do it! Thank you guys so much. Please like, share, review, and subscribe. And I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. My family, I can't, I really don't get along well with my family at all. Like I've, gotten sober so I can deal with them from a distance. And um, they're all, you know, when there's big stuff that's happening, they're like on the family thread, you know, boom, yeah. boom, boom, boom. And yesterday, everyone was losing, like my mom and dad, who've been divorced for 20 plus years, are on the same thread with my stepmom. Like it's, it's a dysfunctional thread. Like my brother's not on, one of our nieces isn't on, but everyone else is on, including me. Anyway. So it's like the thing that's going on in the Capitol is crazy. This is going on tear gas. Oh my God, this is an embarrassment. This is a national shame. This guy's like just so much political stuff. And then Emma, can you bring me orange Gatorade home? Just like, <laughs> cause my family wants to control. Everyone wants to control the tone of the thread. Right. So it starts to get too much of a thing. Someone's going to throw in a duck to be like, Hey, <laughs> And my dad will like send a comic that he saw that has nothing to do with politics. We're like, dude, no one in my family can read the room, I guess, is they want to control. They're like, oh, people are having fun in here. Someone just died. You know, they're just like, <laughs> oh, we're at a funeral. Did someone step on a duck? My dad like does a bunch of like fart jokes. I'm like, cool. I had a grandma who we used to time it. And my grandma Elsie, oh, we started, by the way. Uh, okay. But can you still hear me if I use this? <laughs> yeah, a little better. <laughs> no, I. Uh, Dude, everyone needs to get. This is the bit of Zoom. My quarantine bit has been this megaphone. Whenever there is an issue, take it right out. <laughs> it is the best visual comedy. Anyway, go ahead, your grandmother. So my grandma died, and. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should. There's the megaphone. Everything's better. It's amazing. Yes. <laughs> Remember, I just told you my family. We we learn how not to read the room. Hmm? Yeah, you're good. I, I get it. Uh, no, she. The joke with her was like we would go there, and the first question she'd ask uh, was if I had a girlfriend. She said, "Mike, do you have a girlfriend yet?" And she's from Allentown, so she's got that sing song way of speaking then she would talk about who died like she didn't say oh like to my dad like oh you remember benny smith he's dead my dad's like oh okay so it was like she was just reading the obituary 
And like, okay, this is over now. (laughs) Can you do the sing song Allentown thing? What do you mean? For her, it was like a, everything was like, uh, the inflection was, it always ended up. It was Mm -hmm. like, so what do you think of the news today? Like, it was like, like, it would go like you're driving over a hill. And I, I don't know if that's just an Allentown thing or that was just my, my aunt and my uncle and my grandparents, but they were Mm. always like that. Mm. I imagine when someone's like sing song, like I want your grandmother to full on sing it. You know, I want her to get in like a short form improv group and just be the musical one. Like, oh, she's always singing all of her lines. (laughs) Yeah. Except like she was so depressed. She'd be like, nobody comes to visit me ever. (laughs) You moved my family away from me, Joanne. You're not really part of the family. So it was like. Yeah, she uh, did not like my mom. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm all out of raisins. Yeah. <laughs> but she was a fun lady. I, yeah. <laughs> she, my mom told me one time that, oh, man, it was, I must have been like 25. And she's like, yeah, you know your grandma, she was institutionalized for depression, right? And I'm like, no. She's like, yeah, they, they had like electroshock therapy for her because, and they thought she was faking it because- my dad is the oldest kid. She had two kids and all she wanted was a family. And then he went to college and she figured that he was going to go to Mansfield. Then he was going to go back to Allentown, uh, you know, teach at Parkland, his old school and live there forever, raise a family. And my mom is from Binghamton and they decided to stay in New York. My dad wanted to move out of home, out of his hometown. And then he never went back to Pennsylvania. I mean, like he would visit, but like the family... You know, they had kids and raised them three or four hours away from them. And every holiday, my grandma would wind up in like, you know, whatever they called it back then, but like, like a unit there and they'd have to come back. And, and finally, my uncle was like, you know what, how about this year? You guys don't come back and see what happens. The next year, she didn't do it again. She was healthy. She was fine. So they really thought it was for attention. So now I know where wow. I got the flair for dramatics. I was going to say, it seems like your family has a long history of not believing women. That's great. Yes. Well, we never do. I mean, okay. you know, I've been saying it forever, and I just don't think there's any point for women. Like, right. you know, like Exactly. And you're like, oh, you know, they treated her in, I don't even know what they call it, um, a box of matzah. Like, there's no, <laughs> it's, uh, I, uh, whatever. It was a lie. <laughs> I don't think my grandma would have ever gone near a box of matzah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if she was racist, but I know she was completely in her own little ignorant world. You know, like when somebody was born in the 20s, it's hard to tell if they're racist or don't know any better. Like the, mm. the language hasn't evolved. But yeah, she had jury duty one time in Allentown. And my sister was dating a uh, half Puerto Rican. Uh, his name is Brooklyn because he's from the city. So they went down to visit and uh, she's like, oh, my God, Katrina, you'll never. Oh, God, there were so many Puerto Ricans down there. And yeah, th- my sister's like embarrassed. She's like. You know, John, he's he's half Puerto Rican. She goes, oh, no, 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 no. Not those kind. The dirty ones from the city. Oh, my God. It's like, like, well, his name's Brooklyn because he's from New York. So maybe she was a little racist. Now I think about it. Yeah, I feel like um, (laughs) I think as a, I don't know if there's an extra level of like, yeah, when someone's racist, it's like, well, they're either racist or and I think it's always the before the or I do. I think. Right. I think racism is our layers and depending on, you know, you can be more racist on one given day or from one, if you're from one city or decade, but as a rule, 
most of us have acted racist. Absolutely. As white think, people, right? Oh, no, wait, Mike, it, I have a question. What's yeah, this? Yeah. What is this uh, podcast about? What are we, what are we, uh, what is the goal of, what is your mission today? Can you tell me your mission? My mission is so when people hear this, they never want to listen to your comedy ever again. Oh. Like that's really it. And and honestly, like, yeah, like I started this about a year. Yeah, I started about like, like 15 months ago. And that was my only goal was to have you on and get you canceled. And like, after we record this, I can stop podcasting. It's pretty great. Dude, I'm, I think that if people want to not ever listen to my comedy again, they should just listen to my comedy once. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I don't have to go through this whole hour long podcast or how long we doing today? Two hours? Buck 50? What are we doing? Probably do two and a half, something like that. Yeah. I, I think if, if people heard me talk for two and a half hours, because like you'll you'll get to know, like it seems like you're used to dominated conversation. Uh, I'm going to interject my mouth and my stories into everything you say. So oh, yeah, no, I've talked to men yeah. before. I get it. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what we're known for. It's what we're good at. So, you know, yes. why change now? Well, I guess taking up space is something that if you don't do that nonstop, you might die. And I'm going to do this now. May I tell you a story about... Uh, I need to tell you that my dad, (laughs) who's just like you and just like the men, feels as though not only can they not stop talking, they can't stop talking with no point of interested in if the other person (laughs) is listening. No, because like if we start to acknowledge that you don't want to listen, then our fun is over. So or why would maybe just, hey, what do you think of that? Or, hey, what are what are your thoughts on this? Or, you know, it's interesting because I feel like don't men want women to like them? And the thing that sucks is that clearly it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> clearly no. it doesn't matter, right? No, I think for me, I go into a situation knowing that a woman probably won't like me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, I'm going to at least have fun with this. And that's not like like to dominate the conversation or whatever. It's just like I want to talk about Saved by the Bell a little bit. Okay. And like I really want you to know that I that I really know Saved by the Bell trivia very well. Okay, So great. if we can get that out of the way, then I, I've done my job. And mm-hmm. I can be like, oh, cool. I'm going to go home and, you know, have pizza rolls and go to bed. Like it's fine. Awesome. Awesome. I, I'm glad that now are they Totina's pizza rolls? Do you put them in the microwave or the oven? So I, for a long time, I used the, the microwave and then probably about like when I was growing up, I only used the microwave. When I moved out and became an adult, I started using a stove for everything. So I don't use the, the I think I use the microwave for like if I'm heating up bread, like a, like, like red lobster rolls or something like that. You know, I'll heat it. I'll use the microwave, but I like soup and chili and spaghettios because I'm really mature. Uh, yeah. I like all that on the stove. I think it balances out like the kid food with the adult responsibility of the stove. I think. Okay, that hold makes on. Let it- me get my list of like things I don't give a shit about. Continue. <laughs> hold well, on, I have not- a I have a pen here, and here's everything that you've said so far. Well, when I was eight years old, only one person came to my birthday party, and yeah. we can. You know, I, it starts there. So my therapy appointment is tomorrow, but we can do it today if you want. Now, do you have, do you do telehealth? Do you, are you still on your parents' insurance? No, no, I'm on my, my own insurance. But yeah, I, uh, we've been doing Zoom or not Zoom, but like, uh, like Duo or whatever, Skype uh, for. Duo, uh, Skype? Well, yeah, I'm rich. So I got both of them. So yeah. Yeah, uh, you're back, your, wall of, your wall of canvassed albums from the 90s shows me that you are rich. <laughs> yes, uh, they're all, me, uh, I signed all of them. Mike, 
is this a comedy podcast? Like you want to know about me and comedy or you want to know what you can say that's like cancelable or what you can get me to say that's cancelable? Cause like I'm in, I'm oh, in, let's do it. We can, we can, we can do a little bit about everything. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's a, well, okay. So, so here's how and you vetted me and which I think is awesome. Like I heard of you from Jared McKelly and David Feinberg. I mm-hmm. helped them out with their podcast and they're big fans of you. So I'm like, Hey, I'm going to try to get Betty on the show. And Jared said, good luck. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I reached out and you're like, uh, you're like, Hey, cool. Uh, and then it took like five minutes. You're like, I betted you. You're fine. I'll do it. And I, which I think is great. Like I, there are so many people who will just say yes. And I'm like, you shouldn't, nobody should ever say yes to talking to me right away. Like, yeah, never. you want someone to take a solid, I don't know, 300 seconds. Yes. And quickly Google you, check in with a Jewish friend and a non-Jewish friend <laughs> and see. So I think the thing that's interesting that I'll say is that podcasts are content that nobody asks for right. and usually do not get anything. So I think it's important to be around people who can witness and listen and connect and hear us talk about a thing. I think that's what community is. That's what conversation is. I think the conceit of a podcast is that someone else is interested in this. And I will say that unless the topic is very interesting to a specific person, or unless the person speaking is very interested I just, there is no, you might as well leaf through a fucking brochure in a window and roofing lobby. It's a bore to someone unless they come there for information about roof and window, specifically local Philly comedy podcast. So because you are not in Philadelphia, I have agreed. And also because (laughs) Jared and David, I really trust. And I'm happy to, since you help them out. I'm happy to show up and say a thing, but I don't even know what you want. What do you want me to say? You want me to give you, you want me to tell you what I think is funny? No, no. What are we doing? The point of this podcast is to really highlight, yeah, the megaphone, honestly. Like that's all I wanted. Like we're done now. I mean, I saw the megaphone three times. Uh, I think that's that's like, it's like the code. So I don't know what, is that a cut it out, a gang symbol? It's the COVID code actually. Oh, okay. Only, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but, but no, I started this podcast because I wanted to, you know, highlight comedians from all over the place. And it started okay. out like around like the people I book, like from New York and Scranton, Pennsylvania, all over New York. Oh, yeah. The, and, the big cities, the and, Scrantons listen, of the world. If I saw it in the office. It's a big city to me. So that's fine. And Yo, so dude, that's let not, me ask you this. What's, yeah. Have you now you said you're 37, 36, yeah, 37. Is there a moment where you have decided you're not going to tell a joke anymore? You're not going to think a thing is funny anymore because you've learned that that thing is actually really offensive and you're not into that anymore. You're not oh, into so, that kind of comedy anymore or that. Okay, joke. So not like forever. I'm not going to tell a joke, but a, jo- a joke about that subject. Yeah. Is there something that you have decided with your woke white man brain that you're no longer going to either be cool with hearing other people do, or maybe you never did that comedy. So you're like, yeah, I'm not going to hear, I'm not into this. I don't like hearing comics do jokes about this or blah, blah, blah. Has anything changed for you? Have you grown as a comic? I, I would hope so. I've been doing it about five years and like, so it's not a whole lot of time, but 
my favorite course in college was gender communication. And I loved it. it it's something that stuck with me. I was a journalist for a while. Mike, so... I can see your tail. <laughs> well, listen, it's it's a tabby tail. I think it's nice. Uh, <laughs> I will have cats all over the place. I got three cats. I live alone, by the way. Three cats. Single yeah, no. for a long time. So got okay. it. So hence the wall. But yes. no, no, the gender communication course has stuck with me a long time. Like I was a sports writer and I would have to schedule games. And I used to get shit from like mostly guys and that, oh, we're covering too money, too much field hockey. Or why is this a volleyball game? You know, like it should always be football. It should always be boys lacrosse. And I'm like, I'm like, if you, I was in Maryland and I'm like, if you look at the numbers, the girls' teams statistically are more successful than the boys' teams. Why shouldn't we be covering them at least as much, if not more? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the field hockey coaches wrote to me, like, oh my God, thank you for doing this. Nobody's ever done this. So I made it a point to treat people equally. So it's really hard for me to uh, listen to misogynistic jokes. Okay. If if it has something like I don't know, I, like reminiscent of like '90s, you know, uh, you know, tough guy comedy, then it's really hard for me to hear somebody like like if the punchline is like, hey, I was ta- or I was talking about this bitch the other day, and I'm like, I yeah, I turn off immediately. So let me ask: Was there a part of your life when you were younger, when you were a kid, that that was okay? Because for me, I feel like that's a thing about growing up. Is like I said when I was a little kid, like my whole family was. I mean, everything that my family thinks was funny, you know, comes from this kind of world of, you know, yeah, just like, yeah, there's a lot of racism, homophobia, ableism, all that stuff. But with this air of like, oh, it's a joke, you know, that's my world. And when I was a kid, I laughed at those jokes. I told those jokes. I would look up those jokes, you know? So there's this like, for me, and that's when I was like 10, 11, 12, 13, like a kid, right? So when I hear comics of all ages, shapes, and sizes, do a joke where, like you said, there's that is either the setup or the pitch or the punchline or the whatever. I am immediately like, oh, that's an idiot 13-year-old. Like it doesn't have that thing that they think is so funny. When I was okay with racism as a 13-year-old, I also felt that. So it's hard for me to, yeah, like not only can I not hear it, I'm just like, dude, I have, I have no respect for this person. That's, it's almost, that's it's lazy. Yeah. It's lazy, really easy comedy. I know, and you know, if I if I look back and say, okay, I well, like what? this effort. Yeah. <laughs> Not everybody has a megaphone. It's really impressive. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever told you the size of your megaphone is extremely impressive, but thank you. It is. No thank you. Trust me, as a guy who's Finally. never been complimented on his size, I know how nice it would be to feel that way. So is it? Wait, is that a dick joke or is it a brain me, yeah. joke? Okay. Well, both, well, both, but yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. whenever I tell a TikTok, you, you know that the brain is small. So kind of Yeah. Both. Well, I think that, I mean, this brings up a good point, right? That when human beings panic that they're not going to connect or not going to get the thing that they want, they do the thing that they think will make someone else comfortable or laugh. The brain, the stupid brain especially the, the male cultured brain in this country that under duress and stress and panic on stage or a male or a female or whoever will get angry that the audience isn't laughing or potentially say, and I do this too. I, like you said, I resort to the low hanging, lazy dick joke, whatever. And in addition to think, I think it comes from this like background of just gross misogyny that we were all raised in this weird patriarchal world in America. But I think it's panic. I think it's fear induced. 
Well, I know, like going back to, uh, you know, the, the jokes, I think if I really gave it a thought, the first time I, I was on, you know, quote unquote stage was in college where I was playing beer pong at, I don't know if you know where Mansfield is, uh, like right in the top of Pennsylvania. And it's yeah. a, kind of a, a small town, uh, very insular. I mean, so not a whole lot of, I mean, it's a college, so you get some differing viewpoints and it's pretty open-minded, but you know, still it's, it's a small, small school. Mm-hmm. So. I would play beer pong and then I memorized pages. I think somewhere in my house, I have nine pages of mostly black jokes and I would memorize those jokes. And then, you know, when it wasn't my turn, I'd go out to the porch where like six or seven guys were. I'd say a couple, you know, right now offensive. I mean, they were offensive back then too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say a couple jokes, get a really good response and then go in. And that was like a high. So yeah, I know that I wanted to be a stand up, you know, way earlier than when I started. And it's really it was back in college where I had my, you know, that really first shot of adrenaline from getting to laugh. So, and so, that, those jokes, I won't say. Now, if I do, if I do tiptoe on race, generally, I am the punchline. Like, I really think that, OK, well, if I'm going to if I'm going to, you know, drag somebody down, I'm going to be the, the guy you laugh at. Like, it's going to be my ignorance will be the joke. Mm, hilarious. So, at least. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't heard the jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't think that I think a majority of people that get on stage are not familiar with a majority of people that get on stage to do jokes are only transferring. They're only able to transfer. They're only able to go one direction. And I think that I don't know. I think that's a bore. I'm bored with people that just get up and they're just like, here's my set. Here's my set. Almost like, you know, when you see someone do it really well, you're like, oh, that's. I can laugh at someone who can do it really well, but I, I guess I'm, I think that's what, I mean, I don't think you've seen me do comedy either, maybe, but no, which is why you probably had me on this podcast, but yeah, I don't I mean, like, if I vetted you, I wouldn't want to talk to you. That's the thing. Yeah. So. yeah, no, that's fair. I don't think the thing that makes it interesting to be on stage is why I do comedy. It's not to just tell the joke. It's to be able to do whatever I can to get the audience to fall in love with me. And to do whatever I can to apologize if they don't. And and my kind of drive the, is to connect with them, but to not lie to them. So when I see people, and like a lot of my background comes from you know, different kind of training, like a comedic, theatrical, kind of buffonish, clowny stuff. That's where I learned to be on stage and work out stuff on stage. So the of stand-up comedy is one direction looking at my notes giving 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 and why aren't you getting it blah 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 and blah, you don't know this blah 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 this was so funny but the thing that i love about comedy for me like what you said happened on the porch is and even if you don't agree with that comedy anymore right, right. at the moment that you're doing that you were like there's something that i think is so funny and i want to share this with these yep. people. And then they not only heard the thing and agreed, but they saw how funny it was to you. So that is the thing, right? Like, so we're on stage, we're trying to get the audience, we're trying to give them the thing that gives us the most amount of joy. This is the thing that makes me so happy. This silly thing, so happy. I wrote it down and I've been trying to figure out how to tell you this. Here's this thing, and I'm going to try to get you to understand how. I got so much pleasure out of this silly, stupid thing, whatever it was, right? 
like the stupid Gatorade comment from my sister or whatever experience I had, ideally it's a real thing. Like if the audience can whiff out that you're full of shit, you're going to fucking eat your shoes and in bomb town. But I think that's the thing I love about comedy. That's the thing I miss about the world. I'm so excited to come back to that. There's something so precious about being a human and having something that brings you so much joy. You're like, whatever it is. I mean, even this, I know this is stupid. I'm holding up this little thing. Here's this thing. I'm like, I know this works when I bring it out. Right. I'm like, Oh, God, I can't wait to do that again. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait for this moment. And as soon as it stops working for me, I'm not going to do it anymore. If it's not fun, if it's like, eh, I'm not going to, it's not fun. Right. I'm like, yeah, I need to figure out how the thing I love about performance, the thing I love about comedy and the reason I'm, I've gotten away, thankfully, from trying to come up with a clever hot take on a topic is because that is a bore to me. My opinion about a thing is a bore to me. The thing that I'm excited about is, for whatever reason, something that fucking tickled me. Like, whatever, right? Whatever it is. It's a piece of popcorn on the floor. I couldn't fucking stop laughing. I better, I'm going to figure out how, why was this so funny? And I'm going to give you this, you know? please, this is this popcorn. So that's, that's my take on comedy. And that's, I can relate with you when you say you're on the porch and these guys were laughing and he got high. Yeah, dude, that's what it is. You were like, Oh, here's this thing that I think is great. And you're like here. And these guys are like, Oh, it's great. You're like, Oh, I won. You right, it's like, it's like you got, you got validation that night. Yes. Like it, nothing else mattered to me. Like I could have lost the beer pong game. You know, my girlfriend yeah. could have, broken up with me but at least i could look back and i'm like yeah but those guys really liked me on the porch for those six minutes you know i'm fine with that like they didn't just validate you here's the thing i'll i'll say mike i'll encourage you to think like this they validated the way you felt about that thing they weren't just like you're great mike they were like no oh yeah 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 you know what i mean like your joy or your interest or the thing that you thought was funny we agree with you we agree with the way you felt you know I love that, man. I love that. Well, good. No more fucking black jokes. <laughs> wow. No, I, uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, I grew up listening to Carlin and I love him. And yeah. I'm always a believer like, that, you know, it's the word, it's the context of the words you say. But, and I liked those jokes, but, and obviously, what's your best I, Carlin bit? What's your most favorite? Well, my Carlin favorite bit? one is uh, Mickey Mouse, uh, Mickey Mouse's birthday. And it's like, I was watching the news and I'm going to fuck it up now, but I'm watching the news. They announced Mickey Mouse's birthday. Like, I give a shit. Like, I hope Mickey Mouse dies. I hope he goddamn dies. <laughs> like, I hope he dies in, a, in the baseboard of a soiled tenement with his hand in Goofy's pants. Something like that. Like, and I, my friends and I, would we'd recite that routinely in high school. Yeah. And that was the one that just everything he said, you know, yeah, I, like, I, I totally believe why you know, Trump or any cult leader is successful because Carlin could have told me to do anything. And mm. at a certain point, I would have done it. I just love that guy so much. Well, he, luckily, he, I think he was, you were attracted to his, you know, the quality of his joy. Yeah, like he was very smart. He wasn't like, like, hey, you should be afraid of everyone and go out no, and kill them. No. Cause he was, he was counterculture and, uh, and I'm like, you know, I'm a punk rock guy, but like he, he was like, just think logically. Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense. Like these people don't care about like, like, uh, you know, big anti Catholic. And it's like, you know, they don't give a shit about abortion. Like if you're pre-born, you're fine. If you're preschool, you're fucked. Yeah. Like they, they just want women to be broodmares for the state. So do you, um, I remember when there was this moment 
that <laughs> George Carlin, my, I only had one of his albums when I had a CD player in my car. I drove a Geostorm yellow in high school and Impressive. I had like five or six CDs that I had. One was George Carlin. One was like Fiona Apple. One was uh, OK Computer. This is my high school driving around kit. And I remember listening to George Carlin and Bigger and Blacker. That was the oh, next great, yeah. uh, comedy album I had. But I remember when after 9-11 thinking, oh, my God, Carlin literally talked about the illusion of security. One of the bits I remembered was like, you know, you get to the airport and they ask you three questions. I mean, I remember traveling and having them be like, did you pack your bags yourself? Did anyone ask you to yeah. bring anything on? And like, that was it. You're welcome. And you know what's nuts about that, Mike? Those like theatrics of security that happened at the airports before 9-11. It's now what people do with COVID checkpoints. Like I walked into a hospital the other day and there was a security guard that was like, are you, ha are you having any symptoms of COVID? And I'm like, no. They're like, okay, go ahead. I'm like, right. Okay, I can just come in. Like this is, are you, is you being here? Like, is someone not going to come in here and bring COVID in because that you asked them if they were feeling sick? It wasn't yeah, a hospital. Sorry. It was a, it was, um, I was getting an MRI. So it was like a health care yeah. space. The illusion of security Carlin talked about. And that's where we're at. The, the theatrics of health care, I guess. I don't even know. Yeah, man, I, he's the guy I miss. Great. Like, I miss listening to Jon Stewart every night on the oh, Daily yeah, Show. And, Carlin, like you those get two, all my political yeah. stuff from John Stewart. Yeah, me too. And now I get it from ten thousand other spaces. You know what sucks right now about this information superhighway? Which, by the way, I'm about five years older than you, and I remember watching commercials on TV for like the future. You know, like I remember being early '90s, and there's like a commercial. It was like someone's on the beach and they're faxing something on the beach, and you're like, the future is coming. Like all this access to information. I remember the first time seeing a trailer for a movie and at the end it was like a web address, www.batman.com. Oh yeah, yeah. You're like, what is this? So because we have now like a fucking influx of information, I have no idea what my sources are ever. I'm like, oh, like I was talking to my um, Lisa. I'm like, oh, I read it. I was reading. Oh no, maybe I was listening to the podcast. Or maybe it was like a meme or a bumper sticker, or a fucking patch on someone's book bag. I have no idea how <laughs> I got this information. Who knows? I don't know. And I've even gone and been like, where did I read that? And I'll go and look and it's like, literally, it was like a post on someone's thing or it was a comment on an article. I'm like, fuck, dude, my information sources are fucking tangled webs. It's like a clown doing fucking balloon animals in the park and they just keep coming up with like the lower intestines. I'm like, that's <laughs> that's the trail. I would say about 10% of my news, if I'm having that thought, 10% of the time, it's from a meme. And I'm like, yeah, oh no, no. Like, so yeah. I'll go in, I'll go into a conversation, like, like thinking I'm really intelligent. Like, like, yeah. I think I read this in Washington Post because I read the post and then yeah. And then like halfway through, I'm like, oh no, th this was a meme. How do I get out of this? Yeah, like, we are in trouble. We yeah. are in trouble. I believe I used to do all my best reading before smartphones in the bathroom. I could oh, yeah, sit yeah. in the bathroom. When there was no phone, I would read, I would just like the back of anything. I'd be like, I would just, I'd be able to learn. I think that bathrooms should not have any cell service. 
Yeah. Go in there and you should have to, and they, and they should place real news and you have to pick it up and read it. And you're in the bathroom, no more phones in the bathroom. What do you say, Mike? I think it's a brilliant idea. And (laughs) for one, sign my no more. I'll be the first to sign because for one, very often I will have a close call on the way to the bathroom because I stopped and went back to get my phone. Oh yeah. That never used to happen. You know, if I had like, you know, the great Gatsby on the toilet, I'd be like, cool, I'm going, I'm going to go see and, and finish the reading I was supposed to do in 11th grade. But yeah. now, like, if I don't have my phone, I feel like I've wasted time. I don't have any reading material. Have you ever left to the bathroom and been like, did I even go to the bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I'm pretty, like, I don't even remember flushing. I'm like, no. so, uh No. My brother-in-law used to have a Playboy subscription. And so I'd go to his house and I loved the jokes and I love, and they were always colorful. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love the interviews. Yeah. So I, I read an interview, I think it was with Matt Damon and I'm a big uh, Kevin Smith guy. So I love Matt oh, yeah. Damon. I like Goodwill Hunting a whole lot. So I went to the bathroom and I read, and I'm not a fast reader. So I was in there for 20 minutes and my sister she knocks on the door. She goes, Mike, you okay? I'm like, oh, yeah. And I had to tell her, oh, I'm just reading an article about Matt Damon. And it was like, <laughs> it was like one of the most humiliating yeah. moments of my life because, oh, Mike's – and I'm not like doing dirty stuff with Playboy. I'm reading right. an article about Matt Damon, and I lost track of time. Yeah. I feel like now, <laughs> literally earlier today, there's like a knock on the bathroom door. Lisa's like, everything, everything okay in there? And I'm like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Everything is fine. I'm just reading, you know, on my phone. She's like, okay. And then I feel, I mean, obviously not at home. I mean, this is the woman I'm going to marry. But out in the world, I've sometimes been like, you know, I was in there for a long time, but only because I was texting somebody. Like, I wasn't, (laughs) I'm not blowing it up. Do you know what I realized? It hasn't, um, this is a kind of a change of subject, but kind of in the same zone. I had a bit that I was working on when quarantine started because I was going to cafes and or just before quarantine started. I was going to cafes for like six hours because I'd have to work, did a bunch of, sh- you know, video editing at a cafe. So I'd sit there forever and I'd use the bathroom multiple times. And there was this experience that happened specifically at cafes where when someone comes out of the bathroom and you go in a lot of the times the person coming out feels the need to have a moment of connection with you where they have really? to say something. Yeah. Like, or, or, or even if it's a noise, even if it's just like, uh, meh, like whatever it is, it's, it's a shift. It's like a changing of the guard and they're not like, Oh, careful. I blew it. They're not saying like, Oh, <laughs> but they're not going there. They're not absolutely, but they're trying, they're having, they are either holding the door for me, which is like, do not do that. Yeah. Get, get like out the, of here. This is the one time where manners do not apply. Absolutely. You get the fuck out. I want that door to close completely. And then I want it to feel like it's a new world. And I go in, or they'll tell me something. This happened multiple times. The person will come out and say, they're all out of paper towels. But I, what, no, what do I have to do? You know, one time someone's like, I'm going to tell them. They're all out of paper towels. Like the bathroom users are joining a union and here yeah, are the yeah. It's nice to not have, there's no public restrooms anymore. So that's a nice, quarantine has taken away some things that are good. But also I can't work on that bit anymore because people are going to be like, can't do that on a Zoom show. People are like, 
how is talking uh, about, man? How have you transitioned to going, uh, you know, from real life to like the computer comedy? Because I know you guys did outdoors in Philly and back inside. Yeah. Uh, is that is that an okay adjustment? Um, it's like a couple of outdoor shows, and they were great and fun, but still weird and crazy. They were great and fun because it was just being in a space, being on a microphone, standing up. Yeah. It, it still, we weren't able to really connect. You know, there was still the whole mask distance. I did the show on a nice stage up in, I think it was, where was it? Bethlehem. And it was outdoors and the space was so big. And there were maybe like 15, 20 people there, but the space was huge. I couldn't hear them laugh. I couldn't see them laugh. I, I was like, man, this this is hard. You know, it was really hard. But um, initially, I think in quarantine, I was like, it's going to be the same. We're going to do stand up and zoom. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to have a microphone. You know, I'm going to try to do that. The transition has been at a place of acceptance that this is where we're going to be for maybe six or eight more months. In the meantime, I'm working on a couple of I'm working on a show that's just for zoom. And it's not a stand up show. It's, um, it's kind of a stupid one woman show. That's kind of, you know, amplifies all the wonky shit that can happen on Zoom. That's called Ants, Ants, Underpants. And I think that I'll be ready to show that in February. I've heard great things. Jared and David were really talking that up. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, they lie a lot, though. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the show, I think, is about... So in the process of transitioning, I lost my job. I, had, I didn't work for a couple months. Or I, I'm a, I work for myself, so I lost a couple of contracts. So I, I was not working and I had to get unemployment. And then after three months of unemployment, I started getting work, but it was all virtual production stuff, which for me, I'm like, oh yeah, I can figure this out. But it was never my like forte. And dude, I went from like doing nothing to running tech and production, virtual production on like huge ph- international pharmaceutical conferences and big giant like shows and meetings and all kinds of, I did a meeting, a medical meeting in China. I had to log on for tech at 11 PM until five in the morning. So I'm in my basement fucking running tech and virtual shit. And I'm like, what the fuck is life, dude? What happened? I was, <laughs> ah, what am I doing? Right? So this, this show that I'm working on this ants, ants show as you asked me where it devised from, I'm going to tell you. It's this fucking did, insane pull between Betty, the performer, and the person who's running tech backstage and how in Zoom, that's so fucking, even now, like when we started, we're like, oh, you can't hear, you can't. It's like there's so much extra tech and that can be really fun and funny and it could be, it could ruin your whole life. You're like, this is terrible. I can't hear anything, especially when comics already don't listen to the audience and they're not looking. Yeah. You know what I mean? All that Zoom stuff is so relatable. It should be almost to everybody by now. I mean, we've all had to deal with a family call, a work call, and going through all that tech stuff. Because, you know, I think I'm okay at tech. But, geez, I mean, I'm okay with what I already knew. When you throw something new at me, I'm like, oh, shit. At this point, if you're on a fucking call with me and you're muted and you don't realize it, you can find a new best friend. I'm out. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. It is January. It is January, dude. You fucking better get your Zoom mute button taken care of. And I was muted on a call the other day. And I was just, I'm like, I'm going to leave. That's unacceptable, I think. (laughs) Well, at least you're passionate about it. I think that's fine. Yeah, I think, you know, I think back in March and April, 
you couldn't find the place you you know back in March and April you're like oh, where's the zoom I get a mute <laughs> yeah but come on December January get the fuck out of here yeah, like I had to teach my mom how to do it, and uh, which is fine. You know, she's at the time, well, she still is, no, she's probably 68. So uh, she's like oh, very panicky about everything. Like uh, she's not anxious, but like when something doesn't work the first time, she gets mad. Oh. And then she'll, oh, like a short little Italian. She's she's the family's Mussolini. And uh, just, <laughs> you know, only a little more fun. We're going to have fun with her at a funeral. So we'll all spit. It'll be fun. But she had a meeting. So I set her up with zoom and then, you know, people have to let you in. So she's at the table ready to go and she's waiting 15 minutes and, and she's throwing stuff around. Like, why aren't they letting me Mike? It's not working. Mm. So I look at it and I'm like, I don't know what's wrong here. And she goes, Oh, um, the meeting's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, we're done. We're done. I'll, your zoom tutorials done. I'm I out. love it. Dude, I'm not going to say anything ageist. I don't want to be ageist, but I do want to say, I don't want to say anything about the age being a factor, but I do want to say that my mother is an old idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I think everybody's mom's an idiot and I love it because they know they're idiots. They're smart, but they're idiots. Yeah. I will get a text message from my mother and it will say, can you email me this? Yeah. And I'm like, sure. I finally just installed TeamViewer. Do you know what TeamViewer is? It's like, no. um, it's a software that IT people will use to remote into your computer to fix something. So I installed TeamViewer on my mom's computer. <laughs> now when she's like, I can't do a thing, I'm like, and I log in and I remote control her computer because I can't, I can't handle the anxiety. Like I grew up with, with my family my mom specifically really doubling down on just ignoring me, which, yeah. you know, well. I know what I know. I got the, the megaphone. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense now. We're ignoring or not really knowing how to deal or not processing. Or my mom, <laughs> at one point, my mom was like, when I was older too, and in recovery a while, she's like, you know, there is a rule. There's definitely a, psych, a psychological theory that really encourages you to, to tuck things under the rug. I'm like, that's not. There is no psychology that says that's the way to go. I'm like, you miss, you didn't go to the right workshop. Um, <laughs> so I can't handle doing IT stuff with my mom or the phone. So I was just, I just have a remote control thing. I just, I can't, I can't bear her inability to not even know how to tell me what's wrong. Right. She's like, it's not coming up. I'm like, what's not it? Yeah. Why don't you where? know? Yeah, coming up where on the thing? Like, oof. anyway, yeah. yeah. I don't want to be ageist, but I do think it's because she is an old, old lady. Uh, do you think like are, where? How many brothers sisters you have? I have a twin sister, and then I have an older brother and an older sister. How are you? Uh, I'm the third of four. I've got two older sisters and a younger brother. So I, I like the psychology of this, and uh, I think because I'm the middle child, like. The younger of the middle ch- children, I am. In, I'm doing comedy in part because I was ignored growing up a little bit, mm-hmm. and not that my childhood was bad or anything. But if I would clean the house, I wouldn't get recognized for it. My older sister would, and my younger brother would, because it was a thrill that they did anything. Mm. But I was ignored. So, like, I'm like, that's part of the reason I think I'm doing comedy. I want to know if that's you know why did you start doing comedy? I mean, was it was it because of your mom or dad or, uh-huh. or your family situation? Um. So I was in a really, so I'm in recovery uh, from drugs and alcohol, March 9th, 
God willing, will be 20 years sober. Oh, wow. Congrats. I know. I know, dude. It's crazy. Thank you. It's, um, and I was in a really, uh, I was in a really good relationship with a woman, and then it broke up really badly. And then I immediately got into a really fucked up, like abusive, yucky thing. And when that thing was finally ripped from my claws, um, I, I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to drink, but I think I might want to hang myself. Like it was really yeah, yeah. scary and just in so much pain. And my sponsor at the time was like, you know, take an art class or blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and I took a, um, an improv class and I never really performed ever, ever, ever. And I took improv and I started doing improv. And really soon after starting classes, I auditioned for a team called the N Crowd, which in Philly is like one of the longest running, like short form kind of indie teams that, I mean, listen, I hate improv just as much as the next person, but the N Crowd <laughs> is actually pretty good. And the fact that they even put me on, I was like, there's a mistake, you know, like I'm not good. I don't know what I'm doing. And the team was filled with like now looking back, the greatest improvisers in Philly. Like they were on that team and they were, cause it was, it was a paying gig. First of all, you did shows for non-improvisers, which is hard, you know, most improv stuff. Um, and they had a really good reputation and won a lot of awards and shit. So I kind of got the bug of performing and then got to be around all these incredible performers. I was like, fuck man, I'm in, you know? And uh, through improv, I got into clown red nose clown which is different than your birthday clown we can have another conversation about clown on on another podcast no one will listen to (laughs) but um uh so through clown i got into stand-up so i mean it was through pain i guess you could say likely we could probably deduce from that bad relationship that that's likely because i was neglected emotionally as a kid so i'm sure it's because of my mother yes there you go for me it was i i moved from a shitty, shitty situation in Maryland where, you know, just a monotonous job, they didn't pay. So I came up here and, you know, I, I was basically, uh, I had no friends in town and I wanted to keep writing. Yeah. So I started doing comedy and then I started doing the podcast uh, in part be, and producing a whole lot of shows uh, because, you know, uh, I had a breakup, mm-hmm. bad breakup, uh, you know, emotionally and physically abusive relationship uh, yep. toward me. On. and Ugh. women can hit too by the way that's awesome yeah so, dude, it's uh, terrible that and then like i had a couple friends uh one friend who bailed on me too and i'm like well i'm gonna funnel all of my energy on being a better comedian and a producer so you know, and I, <laughs> sorry sneezing on the truth sneezing on the truth <laughs> but yeah so I, I was like all right well i'll funnel all that energy on being a yeah. better producer and a better comedian and i ended up before COVID and everything, I ended up building a business that was mm-hmm. actually paying bills. So nice. I needed I needed that motivation, all that shittiness, you know, to, to use and spark me. So I always look back and like, okay, well, this, like, I try not to be less like, a, like, oh, there's a good in everything, but there probably is. Like, there's a reason that you started yeah. doing comedy. Not that you'd ever say, oh, I really want to do that relationship over again. But, <laughs> you know, the end result isn't the, ho- the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, I think... Yeah. So thank you for sharing your experience. That sounds fucking wicked. And I'm sorry you went through that shit. And it's just sucks, you know, and similarly, 
I produce a lot of stuff in the city and I have a skill set that, you know, I started a startup company years ago and it got, you know, we, it was successful and I ended up doing all this tech stuff. And I have this really weird background of kind of not getting my degree from college, but then also getting kind of a weird accelerated MBA in like a real job. It's just another wonky history of mine. But so I got into comedy and I was also really good at production. So yeah. starting standup, I was like, okay, let's do a festival. Let's do a, you know, and amplify and some marginalized voices, not just queer folks like me. I mean, I'm white and a woman and Jewish. I can get to the fucking front of the line and talk to the manager. <laughs> but it's, I think for the last couple of years, I've really tried to focus on and feel like I can claim success because I've had the privilege of producing and making space and stages and experiences that are paid for marginalized folks. I mean, that's the thing. I'm like, oh, I want to get, I can get on stage. I can yeah. fucking do that. I can make a space. So that, that feels like in addition, it's almost like, I don't know if you can relate to this, but it's almost like, I feel lucky that I was able to take the pain from that relationship and fucking do something with it. Just like you, like, yeah. I didn't go, yeah, go into a ball. Right. I didn't go into a ball and hide. And, you know, from whatever fucking strength or privilege I had, I was able to stay alive and do something good with it. But a lot of people need more help. They don't have that to just pull themselves up or they don't even have the strength to ask for help. They don't even know how to fucking put the next foot in front. Right. So because we've been able to and we have an extra skill set where we know how to pull something together, it's important to give people as much as many advantages as possible. Yeah. Like I know when I started producing and, and I, like I said before, like, like I was a manager at my old jobs and no matter what job I took, I ended up, you know, writing a schedule. Like they, it would, yeah. maybe, maybe I didn't have the title, but I would end up enveloping the responsibilities that a manager would have. Right. Uh, I remember when I was in eighth grade, we, we got on the bus and the bus driver, and I had been on the bus for three years and the bus driver uh, made a big to do about us standing further back from the mailbox so we wouldn't get hit. And okay. I just didn't, I was like, this is so foolish yeah. because like you're driving a big yellow bus. <laughs> we're, we're going, and I stood up and I said this, I said, we're going to see you. Yeah. And she's like, Mike, just sit down. I go, no, I'm on your side. Yeah. Like we trust you to not hit us. I've been on this bus three years. I don't think you're a bad driver. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, Finally, she got so annoyed with me. She said, sit down. And yeah. so uh, the next, like my dad was a band teacher at the school. So I got on the bus and uh, I was in middle school. He's in high school. And she had called him and said, yeah, Mike's not allowed on the bus anymore. <laughs> so, so I got on the bus and I tried to get on the bus. And that day she goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm getting on the bus. And she's like, what do you mean? I go, well, you're the bus driver. You're taking me home, right? She goes, you didn't talk to your dad? I'm like, no, why? She goes, yeah, you're not getting on the bus today. I'm like, Oh, okay. So I was suspended for like three days. But like, I always felt like I you was like this. You were suspended for talking back? Yeah, yeah. Dude. I mean, not, not suspended from school, but just off the bus. Yeah, that's but, weird. You know, we get suspended yeah. off the fucking bus because you told the bus driver, in addition to like, you're also responsible for not hitting us, but we're also responsible for not getting hit by you. Yeah. That's what you pretty much said. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, listen, like, we're not dumb. Like, we're, we've been standing there forever. Like, you're not, you haven't hit anybody yet. Right. We don't think you will. 
So it was just it was just weird. But I always thought of myself as like the union rep and like the guy who's going to say something. So when I started doing stand up and I wasn't so getting funny. stage time, well, fuck, what can I do? And I started producing shows. And then I thought, OK, well, I want to help other people get stage time, too. Yeah, because like like granted, I probably wasn't good enough, but yeah. I felt like I wanted to belong and I wanted to get there. And I figured that was the easiest way to do it. But once I was there and able to do shows, I didn't want to just fall into a click like the ones who didn't like me. I right. wanted to say, OK, well, you know, Abdul Hadi in Syracuse, you know, he's very good. He was always very good. But it's like he should be booked more. Yeah. And I want to get him on shows and and I, I, I do a women's show and I'm like, yeah, OK, yeah. I want to do that. And so like there's a lot of things that. Like I just I just feel like it's my responsibility to not forget from where I came, I guess, if, if that if that makes any sense. Like yeah. not not high on the perch. But but yeah, I, I think, think that that's the perk of being a producer and yeah. and saying thank you to everybody. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's um there's a couple of people that have gotten like some production stuff during quarantine that have started doing some more producing and specific a couple of people in Philly and in other spaces that are kind of like acting like new gatekeepers a bit because I hate that. I hate that. I think as soon as there's a space, like I'm not going to say this person's name. I'm not going to say, you know, what this person's doing. But for me, it reminds me of someone that comes into AA. I mean, I've been in, like I said, a for a long time comes into AA afraid and crying and in pain. And within a week, they're like, actually, the book that everyone's been using, I'm going to rewrite that so that everyone knows this is the right way to do it. And you're like, hold up, dude, you just got here, right. you know, like, take a breath. And then the next week, she comes in and she's like, you know, uh, you're not allowed in this meeting unless you come through me. And you're like, what are you talking about? You know, so when there's a what feels like a power grab of sorts from the energy of some producers, I imagine that that person is not having a good time in their life and that this is a little uh, like they don't share our idea that more access to all is better for all. Right. The kind of bottlenecking or gatekeeping is a way that they can posture or have some power or. Uh, and some people will follow them, right? Be like, oh, sh you know, he has the he has the ability to book this club. I, I better suck his dick. As fucked yeah. up as that is, you know, that's what people do, right? They create a value system that they think and that someone decides they're in charge of how to get into a thing, and then they just make the decision that this is how it's going to be. It's gonna you're going to have to come through me to do this thing, and and I'm like, that's actually. That's not how it works. That's not how my world works. That's not how any of this fucking works, especially at the level that we're at, which is yeah. loser level, right? Like <laughs> yeah. We're entry level comics here. We're not talking about booking Carolines. We're not talking about going to fucking a Netflix special. These are chill spaces. And that shit drives me bonkers. That is just white supremacy to a fucking T. I'm like, ugh. There was a guy around here, and I understand why he did it. I, I don't think he should have done it, but he required everybody. And this is why. He didn't get out and see a lot of people. He was yeah. only doing comedy for maybe a year when he started producing shows, which yeah. is yeah, that's pretty much what I did. But I acted like a scout where, okay, well, I want to go to the, as many open mics as possible so I can see people, you mm -hmm. know, so that's how I know. Like, I'll, I'll you know, adjudicate the talent, I guess. And yeah. so what, what, what he did was – he required everybody who wanted to be on the show to send him a clip and or like a YouTube thing, which I think is fair. But I think you also have to use common sense with it. 
we have a guy, Paul Kozlowski, who, uh, you know, he's been all over the place. He, he's written, I mean, he's lived in New York, Chicago, Boston. He came up with uh, Barry Crimmins and Bobcat Goldthwait and Louis C.K. And, um, you know, back when Louis was awesome. And mm-hmm. uh, so, like, but he's been in L.A. He's done shows. He's got a podcast with all these famous people on it. He had he had Paul send him something or wanted Paul to send something. It's like, OK, well, at that point, he's back in Cortland, New York, headlining all over the place, like all these yeah. local shows. I think you can say, Paul, why don't you come over and do some time? Like, like, yeah. so Paul got assaulted by that. And like, I, I'm like, OK, you know, like he's been doing comedy for 30 years and Absolutely. he's been on Dr. Katz, the car, the old cartoon, like. Yeah. all right give him a pass you know so yeah, yeah. i understand and i don't think that guy was being an asshole but it's like all right man you got a little power and let's let's ease off a little but bit what's the power right like is he is he booking right. something and there's thousands of dollars on the table what is no, the no. thing right uh you know it, it would have been like a hundred dollar booking maybe and, and are there a million people in the audience like what is the thing that this person's bringing that they can't get anywhere else like the commodity thing is the value that's you know, there's two main comedy clubs in Philly and comics should want to get on those stages. Absolutely. Those two stages are super, they're the two main stages. That's for sure the thing. And I think both of those clubs are actually pretty fair in how they vet local comics and all that stuff. I think it's good to have like the thing you want to be at, right? Like, oh, I want to get on those stages. Like, that's going to bring in, they have their own marketing team. Like they're a brand, you know, they're not just like Bob's fucking tequila bar or whatever. And I feel like in those spaces, at least in Philly, I appreciate what both clubs have done to try to get, you know, more access and equitable and all that stuff. It's weird because the tiny little indie shows and stuff are the ones that have created these weird gatekeepers. You're like, what am I going to fuck? What do you want me to do? Beg to be at Bob's Tequila Bar? I don't think so. Yeah. You know, like there, there are places, or not places, but there are probably four entities, maybe five, in the Binghamton area who book yeah. shows. And I have done, I think, uh, you know, take me out of it. I think I've done five shows combined in five years with them. Yeah. So like, I don't get booked very often in town at all, and yeah. and I don't think it's lack of talent. Uh, maybe it is. Absolutely, could be, but. You know, I think what they want is they want to be booked first. And it's like, well, you don't come to the open mics. Yeah. You don't play well with others. Like, yeah, it's, it's really hard. And, you know, the misogynistic humor, uh, I get that from two of the four. Right. So it's like, okay, come on. Like, the other guy's not a, not a comedian. And I get booked with him more often. But it's like, right. I don't want to play that game. Like, just yeah. just be, be a part of the community. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, like, I didn't want to be a part of a clique. And I wanted to, I, for a little while, I was like, oh, I'm going to break down all the clicks. There's no way I can do that. Yeah, there's but no I was way. Under, I was under the illusion that I could, and I couldn't. Yeah, I mean, I think as I grow in business, too, I see that sometimes if someone's work isn't my favorite, and this is like not even comedy, right? Like I was saying, I do a bunch of video stuff. I'm like, well, this person isn't my favorite person to work with because sometimes they're flaky, but they have this other thing where I could work with them about, you know, like I can deal with them being late because they're able to do blah, blah, blah. Like you can kind of like offset it. And I do, you know, doing virtual shows. I produce free fringe with uh, Chris and Sarah and um, it's all about access. Right. And then when I look at who I'm booking for stuff, like if I produce a show, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this fun show. It's going to be people I fucking like. And honestly, <laughs> I was talking about this with John the other night. 
half of the people I love in comedy are not funny. <laughs> they're yeah, not good yeah. comics. They're just fun. I like being around them. They're good, good people. They're good people. That's it, man. Uh, there was for a little while when I was booking stuff around Binghamton, I had to apologize for people who had booked that place before. And, you know, because they had either, you know, they fucked the bartender and ruined things there. They brought people and trashed the place. They badmouthed the business. And I'm like, listen, I'm not that. Like, uh, trust me, nobody's going to want to fuck me. So that's one. <laughs> and like, like and nobody wants to come and see me. So that's two. Yeah. So, uh, like, I'm fine. Uh, but, yeah, like, I really had to apologize and just ensure them that, listen, we're not all that same way. Like, yeah. and I want like the people I book. Yeah, I want them to be funny, but I want them to work well with each other. Like I always look at uh, a comedy show. Yeah, we're all individuals. Yeah. But if one person sucks and bombs and I don't even care if you bomb, but if you blame the audience, if you attack somebody, if you are picking on a couple who isn't part of the show, like they don't want to be there yeah. and you cost me the venue, you ruin the show. Yeah. And like, so you brought down the, the chemistry for the entire uh, lineup. And Absolutely. I, and then, you know, when you when you start to micromanage all that stuff in the good way, it's like when you build a lineup, you have to if somebody's a you know a very dramatic or is causing problems, you can't work. Maybe John doesn't like Chris and, and yeah. Sarah doesn't like John. So right. they can't work together. So right. that's really tough. And you know, that's why like, man, if you can be a nice person in comedy, oh yeah. my God, the avenues will open up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. And if you could be amazingly hilarious half a bitch great yeah. curls knows how to get it done <laughs> then you have you, a little bit of opportunity it also probably helps to be a jewish woman uh and if you're gay that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah being gay really opens up the quarterly queer show at the local <laughs> club. uh which six games this month um i was great. talking to you know audrey marsh right yeah, she's great. Yeah. She's so oh, funny. She's, she's the best. And uh, second best. You're the best. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were talking a long time ago. I had her up here in Binghamton and she did a women's show. She's like, I will almost never say no to a women's show. And I was like, do you ever get, uh, I think this is her and I could be, you know, a lot of women and you all look alike, really. Uh, yeah, but but uh, I asked her, I think if she got, ever got tired of typecasting, she's like, well, no, because I get on stage and I like to promote women. Mm -hmm. Like I like to see who's funny. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, I mean, women are funny. Yeah. So I'm like, and that's like, that's part of the reason I, I like doing the women's show too. It's like, yeah, I don't know how many people get boxed out of doing anything. That's where I disagree. Cause I don't think women. I think, yeah. Uh, but like that show, a women's show is such a good way to, for women to network with each other from out of the area. Like if like Philly and Rochester, New York or whatever, it's yeah. like, when, when else would you meet? But at a women's show, maybe. So that's, that's part of the joy I get out of that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. Plus, like, again, like, what are we like? It's the audience decides, really. Right. The audience decides. And I do think that the audience I get for women shows, you know, they're predominantly female, better audiences. Yeah. Um, I had to perform the last one before COVID. Uh, four of the five women couldn't make it. So I ended up hosting the show. My God, it was such a great show to go out on because all 14 people were paying attention. And yeah. if you have men in the audience, they don't give a shit for the most part. Yeah. They'll look at yeah. the phone. If they're bored, they'll let you know they're bored. Most of the women, women are really friends. good at faking it. 
It's an amazing skill. <laughs> Men are really bored in that you don't realize you think they're looking at their phones, you just have their hand on their penis. You're like, uh, there's no <laughs> show. Like, He's constantly touching their dicks. Um, Mike, this was great. I have a 130 though. I have to go to a um uh I just sent the email, said I'll be a little bit late. I have a call about a yo- virtual yoga event. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, I think it's going to be, I mean, I'm going to produce it. So I think it'll be fine. I don't know. Are people doing live yoga with people? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, okay. So uh, I appreciate being here. Do you want to plug anything? Yes. Ants, Ants, Underpants is going to be out in February. Check out my website. I think it's bettysmithsonian.com. Check out my Instagram. I think it's, I don't know, Betty Smithsonian, maybe handstand store <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, wear a mask, wash your hands. Don't be mean. That's what I want to promote. Well, thank you so much uh, for squeezing me in here. And uh, yeah. I appreciate Before it. Anyone I was here, Mike. Uh, no, no, no. I, I'll, I'll just delete this episode right away. So you're fine. Thank you. But um, thank you so much. And enjoy yoga. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to, I'm going to critique others. I think the conversation will be uh, me judging basically. Oh, good. Good. Used to that. Oh, uh, the megaphone's back. There we go. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you in a bit. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.